You're listening to the sermon audio from Mill Creek Community Church. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com. Good morning. It's a pleasure this morning to start with the Gospel of Luke. So if you would um, open your uh, Bibles to Luke 1, um, it's on page 590 in the Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. So please join me. If you don't have a Bible of your own, please take one as a gift from us to you. Luke 1. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Please pray with me. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for what your word has accomplished, is accomplishing, and will. Thank you so much for um, what you've done for us. Spirit, we ask you to come teach us and confront us with your beautiful word and truth. In your son's name I pray. Amen. Thank you, Michelle. Prior, prior to being the preaching pastor here at Mill Creek, I was actually a youth pastor a long, long time. And on one of the occasions as a youth pastor, I got to know one of the dads that has a kid, had a kid, youth ministry. And we would hang out sometime. And um, over the course of our relationship, he began to share with me that his faith that had once been so strong. He had grown up in the youth ministry where I was actually serving. And and as he began to grow and then become a dad and have kids, he was sharing with me, I'm starting to struggle with some doubts. And I'm beginning to wonder how certain I am about the gospel and the authority of God's word. He told me he'd been reading some higher criticism German scholars who had really opened his eyes to the background of God's word. And, you know, maybe they were part of his journey of beginning to doubt his faith. For my money, my guess is it's more about some of the hurt and pain that he had experienced in that church where I served, where some people had really legalistically tried to apply the scripture to him and kind of hit him over the head with a Bible, bam! Some people had wrongly married some particular views of culture, placed them on him as if it was God's law. He was struggling underneath it, and there was just a lot of pain and hurt in his heart. And as I got to know him more and more, he felt honest enough to share some tough questions, which I was grateful for. You know, Jeremy, how do you know that the Bible really is true? How do you know that the gospel is legitimate? How much of our faith, Jeremy, can we really be certain 
about. I was sad to watch my friend over the course of some time together have his faith unravel. Like a small string sticking out bottom of a sweater, he began to pull on that string. And once the authority of the Bible began to come unraveled, it's like everything else just started to unravel too until his sweater was completely undone and his faith seemed to be gone. I remember asking him one time, hey man, it's like, like cross an empty tomb. Is that even in your belief system anymore? And he said, Jeremy, so much of it is gone, man. It's just, there's not, not much left. Our culture has a word for what happened to my friend. And that was the first friend I had who walked through this thing that is popularly known as deconstruction. A terrible reality for those of us that are in the church and believe the truth. Quite a celebratory moment for the rest of our culture who thinks deconstructing from faith in Jesus Christ is wonderful. Deconstruction, from my perspective, kind of got popular with some musical artists, at least some of the musical artists that were influential to me. There was a band called DC Talk. They seemed really cool. Kevin Max from DC Talk began to deconstruct. Then there was Derek Webb from Cademan's Call. I love that band in the early 2000s. He deconstructed. There was this gal named Jennifer Knapp. She had some really wonderful music. She began to deconstruct. But what happened first in the Christian music scene then moved over to pastoral leadership. And you had people like Rob Bell who had these really cool videos that made you think about Jesus. And now so much of his faith is gone. So much so that Oprah loves Rob Bell, which would tell you something. And on and on it goes. Uh, Joshua Harris, he was this author who's written several books and he would be like one of the primary speakers at these mega conferences that a guy like me would want to attend. His faith gone. His marriage gone. In fact, I understand he wrote a curriculum for how to deconstruct. I guess if you're not selling any more books because you don't actually believe the message you preached in those books, you got to write new material to make some money. Get this, hashtag deconstruction has, last I checked, 344,000 hits on Instagram. My guess is plenty of people like Harris would be happy to help you deconstruct if you're interested. Well, good morning and welcome to Mill Creek, huh? <laughs> and man, it's Advent. I was celebrating a baby in a manger. Thanks a lot for raining on my parade. But as we begin, Luke, I do think it's important for us to be honest about such challenges I do want to be faithful to consider what's actually happening in our culture. What sort of world are we raising our kids in? And I think we ought to admit the cultural pressures we face are real. And there are folks I trust in here right now, or they're going to listen to the podcast, or they're going to tune in online, and the temptation to deconstruct is really powerful. And in our world today, in schools where our kids go, in colleges that we may cheer for on Saturdays, but the rest of the week, they are going to be in the public square. There are pressures that want Christians like us to deconstruct. And then as soon as that's deconstructed, put your story out on social media and get a bazillion likes because it is so fun 
to watch former Christians bash the worldview they once held. Plenty of parents in this church have felt this personally. You, some of you, know this firsthand. Pastor Marty's told me there's plenty of parents who've watched their kid are still praying for their child who has deconstructed to come back to faith in Christ. This is a real challenge, and it is deeply personal. And so what is a church like us to do? When we live in a culture that celebrates and encourages deconstruction, how is Pastor Neil and our wonderful youth volunteer team actually supposed to equip our teenagers to know how to relate in the public square? What should we say? Where should we go? What should I have done with my friend all those years ago? Well, this morning we begin our sermon series in the Gospel of Luke. And though Luke's book is like 2,000 years old, give or take, we find in it a very practical and relevant message for anyone here looking for a unique perspective of Jesus. Anyone wondering if they can actually know the truth about Jesus. For anybody who thinks, I'd really love some certainty, pastor. I'd love to know that I can have some confidence in what the book says. You have come to the right church at the right time. Because this is exactly what Luke wants to do. And because that's Luke's intent, that's our intent, to preach what the book says. And in Luke's book, he wants to give us this unique perspective, the truth, and give us confidence. He wants steel in your spine so that when you walk out, you don't have to be wondering, is it true? I just don't know. Luke has a gift for you this morning, and I want to give you then these three reasons to lean into Luke. Not just the sermon today, but this sermon series that we're going to be walking through for the next seven-ish months, give or take. Understanding this section then will help us for the rest of the book. This section, you might notice, is a little bit like a preface. Like if you got a book off Amazon, you might open it up and see a note from the author that begins the book. That's what this is. These four verses teeing up the gospel of Luke. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, would you please open to Luke 1, 1 to 4. It's just a couple verses, but they are powerful. For the sermon, then, three reasons to lean into Luke. First is this. Luke has something unique to say about Jesus. If you're taking notes, you might write this down. Three reasons to lean into Luke. The first is this. Luke has something unique to say about Jesus. Look with me at verse 1. Notice Luke explaining that many others have undertaken to write a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. Luke is quite fancy in his vocabulary here, and I am being serious. Luke is like a highbrow collar. Some argue that these four verses are the finest Greek in the entire Bible. Like if Luke was having a meeting with us, he showed up at the meeting with a three-piece suit and really expensive shoes because he wants to give a good impression to the most excellent Theophilus and all the rest of us who are reading this. He wants us to know, man, I know what I'm doing here. I've got command and mastery over the language, and I want you to lean in because i got something unique to say. You notice there, this is written to the most excellent Theophilus. That's Luke's audience. I, I believe that guy was a real person. And since he was taught some things, look at the end of verse 4. He had been taught, which is the word where we get catechism. I have in my mind that he might have had some Jewish nanny who had come to faith in Jesus Christ. 
and had trained him up as a young boy to go, let me tell you about the gospel, and had catechized him. But as Theophilus grew older, perhaps he began to wonder, is this faith legitimate? Can I trust what I've heard about Jesus? And if this most excellent Theophilus, which that title, by the way, is a title of nobility, so don't know how noble this guy was, but if this most excellent Theophilus had some money, it makes sense to me that he hired Luke and said, I need somebody to land the plane on this thing, man. I'm tired of wondering if I can have any confidence in this message. Would you go talk to the people and let me know? Luke then, introducing this book with sophisticated language, like we said, this is highbrow language. This isn't USA Today. This is Wall Street Journal. All right. This is less Reader's Digest. This is more New Republic for those of you who read magazines. This is not BuzzFeed on the internet, okay? Theophilus is to know from Luke, yes, there are other books, but you would benefit from having something additionally written. That would be helpful to you, Theophilus. Now, in case you didn't know, the Gospel of Mark at this time is probably in circulation. So we expect that Theophilus has had a chance to read Mark, just like we have it in our Bibles. And in fact, some would argue Matthew's around too. And both of them are wonderful Gospels, neither of them written to Theophilus and his unique challenges. And so this is Luke saying, I know you've got access to other perspectives of Jesus, but I got something unique to tell you. Mark and Matthew are beautiful and wonderful and true, and yet, Theophilus, there is something more you need, which is why this book got written. Luke's first reason, then, for his book is something like this. Hey, Theophilus, lean in. I want to tell you something about Jesus that you don't already know. Here, then, is the connection for us today, church. The first reason why I want us to lean into Luke, taken directly from Luke himself. Luke really does have something special to say about Jesus that we're not going to get from any other author. And while none of us are Theophilus, God in his great wisdom has preserved for us this book. And at least one of the reasons then that we have four gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, at least one of the reasons is because each of them does something special that without the others would not give us all we need to know about Jesus Christ. Which means that even if you just finished, you said, Pastor, I have been on a 52-week journey to know everything from Matthew and everything from Mark and everything from John. I memorized all three books, Pastor, and I twisted every last ounce of truth from them like water out of a towel. Even if you did that, with confidence, I can say, you do not have it all. Because Luke has something special to say that none of the other gospel writers say. And you, like Theophilus, are lacking something too, even if you've got Matthew, Mark, and John on lock. It'd be like this. If you went to the doctor and said, doctor, I want to have good health. Can you tell me what I'm lacking? The doctor, which by the way, Luke really is a doctor. Colossians 4.14 tells us this guy is legit doctor material. If we went to Dr. Luke and said, what am I lacking? He would say, Look, there's at least two things you need that the other Gospels aren't going to get. First, you need to know that in the Old Testament, the plan was always for the Christ to suffer and die on the cross. Luke wants to give us that uniquely. The other message Luke wants to be sure we get is that 
from the Old Testament, the plan has always been that the gospel isn't just for Israelites. The gospel is for all the world. Those would be two special emphases Luke brings to us. But for now, we'll have more chances to dig into those over the sermon series. For now, I just want you to understand Luke has something unique for us, which I think is encouraging. I think it's exciting. And I hope that you feel the same way. I mean, good grief. You're not sitting there thinking, well, actually, Pastor, I already know everything about Jesus. So I, you know, I'll just take this sermon series off, thanks. I mean, unless you've already known and applied everything from Luke, then like Theophilus, your theology is deficient as well. And mine is too. It's why I'm so excited to preach through this book. I've never preached through Luke. I'm going to learn right along with you. So let's lean in, at least for one reason, which is that Luke has something unique to say. But let's move to the second reason why I want us to lean into Luke. And that's because Luke knows the truth about Jesus. Again, if you're taking notes, you might write this down. Luke knows the truth about Jesus. Now I know in our culture, it is not popular to tell people, I know the truth. And I understand that denying absolute truth is actually a important step in deconstructing. Like if you're here and you're like, I was actually hoping to deconstruct after the sermon, pastor, what do I do? Well, step one would be just deny that there's actually any truth to be known. I mean, it makes sense to me, probably you as well, as Christians, our worldview is actually based on absolute truth. Our worldview is based in real history. That's why there's things like Caesar Augustus. He was really alive. He really did send people back to their hometowns for a census. We really believe in Pontius Pilate. We really believe in Herod. We really believe in a place called Golgotha. Like this is real history we believe in. And I understand that if it's possible to convince somebody, no, there's not real history. It's all relative. Why then any truth claim from the Bible is going to dissolve as well. Like a Jenga tower, you know that game with all those little blocks that you try to take one from the bottom and put it at the top? Like a Jenga tower, if you take truth from your worldview of Christianity, that's a bottom block. You take that thing out, it's going to start wobbling, if not tumble immediately. I can say it like this. If you reject absolute truth, it's not if your faith is going to deconstruct. It's just a matter of when. Christianity cannot stand without truth as its foundation. And if you're listening to this sermon and you've already deconstructed, this very well may be the crucial piece you need back. You need to know there's real truth. Gravity is real. History is real. Semi-trucks out on the freeway are real. And please don't test the hypothesis that they're not. Here's what's so cool about Luke's gospel. The second reason to leak, lean excuse me, into this book and the sermon series. Luke can help put steel in your spine. So you can stand for truth because Luke actually knows the truth. Luke talked to the eyewitnesses and he talked to the ministers of the word, the disciples. You don't have to take my word for it. Just look at verse 2. Let me read it out loud. Verse 2. Just as those who were from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. Here's what was so helpful to me. I hope it's helpful to you. We can actually track Luke's sources. 
like a sophisticated author, he's just citing his sources. He's not trying to say, hey, Theophilus, I had a dream and I decided to write the whole dream down. I, I had a trance and I just kind of had my eyes roll back in my head and this book popped out. No, Luke's saying, I did the work. I wasn't there with Jesus, but Jesus had eyewitnesses and I talked to them. And there were these disciples and I talked to them. And so do you see the linkage that Luke's connecting? It's from Jesus to the eyewitnesses and the apostles, and now I've talked to them, he's the third in the chain, and here it is for you, Theophilus. You can know I have the truth. Now again, that's not to say that Matthew and Mark and John do not have the truth, for of course, Matthew was one of the disciples. He didn't have to talk to the eyewitnesses, he was there. And of course, that's the same for John. He was there with Jesus, so he didn't have to be an investigative reporter, he just has to remember what happened. And then Mark... Most think he was discipled by Peter. Again, Peter was there. So that's how Mark gets his information. But for Luke, Luke's saying, hey, I wasn't there, but I talked to the people who were. Luke has investigated it. It's, it's like this. If we walked into Dr. Luke's office, we had an appointment to see the good doctor. And we said, I wonder if you're, I wonder if this is a quack shack doctor and you don't actually know what you're talking about. Prove to me you have good credentials. Dr. Luke just point to his office where the framed credentials are. And what they would say is, I talked to the people who were there with Jesus. And if you said, well, do you have any other credentials? He could go, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Here's another one. <laughs> I talked to the disciples. I talked to all of them. And Theophilus could have gone and verified his sources, but he didn't need to because Luke's the good doctor and he's got the credentials. Luke has the truth. For how else, if, how else would Luke know when Zechariah went into the temple, which we're going to look at next week? Zechariah went into the temple by himself. It's a once-in-a-lifetime deal. How did Luke know that that happened? He had to talk to Zechariah. Or did you know that Mary had just heard this prophecy from Gabriel, and then she shows up to talk to Elizabeth, and Elizabeth's wicked old, but Elizabeth's pregnant, with John the Baptist, and John the Baptist starts doing calisthenics in Elizabeth's tummy, like, I just can't believe in the, the reason that John the Baptist is doing flips and who knows what is not because Luke knew, just intuitively, that happened. Luke had to go talk to Elizabeth and say, tell me what happened. And she says, yeah, so Mary walks in with Jesus in her belly, and all of a sudden my baby starts going, yippee! So Luke writes it down. How did Luke know these things? He did the work he knows the truth. Now, the reason I'm hammering this is not only because truth is crucial to Christianity, for it certainly is, but in our culture, truth is always under assault. People might say, it's fine, pastor. You believe what you want to believe about the Bible. You believe what you want to believe about the Luke, and I'll, I'll believe what I want to believe about the Bible. I'll believe what I want to believe about Luke. So you have your truth, and I'll have my truth. That is not the same thing. Don't buy that garbage, church. We got to get this. Satan is a liar and a deceiver, and he has been since the beginning, and he will do anything to get you doubting the truth. He'll get anything to get you doubting that the Bible is true or Luke is true, like a thread on a sweater. He wants you to start pulling that thing so it all comes undone. If you're even wondering if the concept of truth can exist, you can know Luke is here saying, I know the truth. And I grant that claiming the truth may sound arrogant to some outside the church. But let the record show we're not arrogant. 
I'm not arrogant. I'm just saying what the book says. Your issue's with the book if you think we're being arrogant. Luke was there. He was there. He talked to the people. So give me a break, Derek Webb. Give me a break, Jennifer Knapp. I'm sorry, I'm not going to listen to you, Mr. Joshua Harris, as you deconstruct and give me all the reasons for why you don't think it's true anymore. Were you there? Did you talk to Mary and Elizabeth and Zechariah and the apostles? No, you didn't, but Luke did. I'm going to listen to him. One other thought about this arrogant idea. If you go to a doctor and you have a terminal disease and, and the doctor says, I know the medicine you need. And you say, well, I got on the internet and I know some stuff. Doctor says, okay, what'd you find out? Well, I came up with 20 options. Doctor says, okay, what are the 20? And you rattle them off. And you just say, I'm just trying to be humble. I don't want to be arrogant. I want to give each of them a fair shot. And the doctor says, yeah, yeah, yeah. I tried all 20. And I've buried 19 people who died from this disease, but I know the one that works. Is that doctor being arrogant? Because he tells you the one that works when he knows. That ain't arrogance. That's love. Hey, forget what you read on the internet. Here's the answer. That's what Dr. Luke's telling us. Hey, just so you know, sex isn't going to save you. Just so you know, power isn't going to save you. Just so you know your control issues, they can't save you. Just so you know, you can't save yourself. Your legalism won't be able to save you. Trying to find approval from other people won't save you. Trying to follow all the other gods in the universe won't save you. Trying to reject absolute truth won't save you. None of these things are going to save you. You want to know who saves? Jesus Christ, he saves. He's the medicine you need. That's the truth. I need to calm down a little bit, I suppose, but that is the second reason I hope you'll lean into Luke, because he knows the truth. From our author's preface here, one last reason that I hope we all would lean into Luke. And that's because Luke wants to give you the gift of certainty. Here is a Merry Christmas gift a few weeks early. Luke's offering the gift of certainty for anyone wrestling with their faith, for anyone wanting some assurance, somebody struggling to know, is Jesus actually legitimate or not? Maybe the deconstructionists have figured something out. Here's the gift. Look at verse 3 and 4. Here's the gift. Excuse me. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you've been taught. I'd love for you to circle orderly account and certainty if you're looking in the text. Circle orderly account and circle the word have certainty, the two words have certainty. The gift that Luke is giving us is that in this orderly account for certainty, he wants us to have confidence in Jesus Christ. And here's the parallel for us, especially those of you, middle school, high school, maybe going to college. Here's what's going to happen. I, I would expect as you look around and you come to meet new people, you might meet some people who are very different than you. People who think different, who come from different religious backgrounds, who make different decisions on gender, who make different decisions with sexuality, who think about their bodies different, who think about the universe different. And as you meet them, they're going to be really, really nice people. 
It's like going to Arrowhead Stadium and me realizing, well, y'all are a bunch of pagan sinners like the Oakland Raiders. I don't know what to do about that. Kind of hoping you'd be real, real mean to me so I could be justified in not liking your team. You're going to find people who think very different than us, but they're going to be really cool. They're going to be really kind, and somebody's going to say something to you like this. You know, man, if you weren't born in that family that goes to that church, that reads that Bible, you know, if you were born in Somalia, you'd probably be Muslim. Man, if you were born in India, you'd probably be Hindu. And you're going to begin to think to yourself, perhaps, here's the temptation, well, I guess that's probably true. I guess that is probably true that some of where I believe is just because of how I got raised. And, and that brings up the question, well, yeah, how do I really know if this is, I mean, maybe the Hindus have something figured out. Maybe Muslims have figured out. Maybe these people who say all truth is relative, maybe they have something figured out. How can I know if this Jesus stuff that Mill Creek seems to pound down our throats is actually legitimate? How can I have any certainty? Here then is the gift from Luke. This is exactly what he wants for you. That you could know in the face of a bazillion different options, you can know this is exactly the truth that you need to anchor into. See, Luke doesn't want Theophilus or any of us readers needlessly or endlessly second-guessing. Is Jesus really the Savior? Did he really come to save sinners? I just don't know. I just don't know. I've got grace for anyone who's there right now, but if you're going to be there for like a decade, you hadn't read the book. This book does not want you worrying about this for years and years and years. Like Theophilus, let's just settle this thing once and for all and make up your mind. And if you decide, man, I can't buy it, well, so be it. At least you've done work with the book. But if you're just so concerned, man, I just want to invite you, keep coming back because this is the certainty Luke wants to give us. Luke wants Theophilus to have certainty so that cat doesn't deconstruct. And for any then who have deconstructed and you're trying to find your way back or you're thinking about it, wherever you're at on your faith journey, here's what Luke wants us to know. Confidently follow Jesus. He is the long-awaited Savior. Confidently follow Jesus. The long-awaited Savior. That is the book in a sentence. And I'd love for you to write that down somewhere in your, in your Bible so you could know the rest of all time. I think that's the, that's the heart of Luke. You can confidently follow Jesus, the long-awaited Savior. Luke's got a unique take for us. He's got the truth for us. He's got the gift of certainty to us. Let me finish with application. Having walked through these four verses... If you're taking notes, would you write this down first? As you read Luke, I want you to read and find out how he's organized his book. Here's our application. As you read Luke, and I hope you do read the book of Luke, if you're not sure what to do even right now in your Bible reading, you wake up and you're not sure, hey, I probably should read the Bible, where should I go? Read Luke. Read a chapter a day. And as you read, I want you to look out for how Luke has ordered this book, which I'm drawing right there at the end of verse 3 that he wrote an orderly account for us. This orderly account part is so helpful. It's not like Luke showed up and he's like, man, I've had a long day. I'm just going to slap some different stories together and I'm going to send this off to Theophilus. Congrats, Theophilus, here you go. Now, Luke has worked carefully, selecting what he includes and in an order to help us 
best apprehend who Jesus is. Everything in here is in here for a purpose. It's orderly. Maybe you're thinking, especially if you're a kid, that is so nerdy to read the Bible that way. Or sometimes I tease my girls. Oh, Dad, are you kidding me? You want me to read the Bible that way? I know. I know. We live in a video-driven multimedia age. And I know that our culture values pictures and videos. I know that. And frankly, our culture devalues thinking and reflection. There's a lot smarter guys than me who've written on this. The internet has rewired our brains. Nobody's questioning if it has happened. The question is how bad is it? And me too. I'm not immune to this stuff. I feel that temptation. When, when, when I'm in a position of stress and I'm thinking, man, what do I want to do? Do I want to go read Luke? Or do I want to just go get some candy on the internet? Man, I feel this too. But as it turns out, and I, man, I want you to get this. I mean, kids, I really want you to get this. But all of us in here, God has revealed us, God has revealed himself to us in a book. And it isn't 144 characters. It's a big book. And that's what God decided to do. So if we're going to apprehend God's message to us, it's going to require us to read better, think better, flex these mind muscles to get better and deeper at understanding what God has done. Now, I grant, if God wanted to reveal himself in an Instagram picture, he could have done it. I mean, he's God. He could do whatever he wants. So he could have come and said, all right, I'm going to send the gospel out through Instagram. And if that was the case, then we would be needing to teach our, our kids how to use Instagram. And you would show up and we'd say, everybody here needs to have a phone and you need to have an Instagram account. And you get to know your credentials. And, and we need to do all of this study on hashtags and all the study on lighting and framing a picture and how do we caption it? Because but he didn't do Instagram, did he? He did a book. Now, I grant he could have done a Netflix series or he could have done a Disney movie. And if that was the case, when you come to church, we'd go, what are you guys going to do in church? Well, we're going to watch another Netflix series because we're trying to understand how God has communicated his message. But he didn't give us a Netflix TV series, did he? He didn't give us a Disney Plus show, did he? Though it turns out Disney Plus smells a lot more like the devil than it does Jesus. No, what he did is he gave us a book. And it's going to require us to get better at reading and thinking. And here in Luke, know this. We have a very intelligent and gifted writer who's trying to make a strong argument that Jesus really came to seek and save the lost. Luke 19.10. He wants you to get that. So it's going to take some work. More work than Instagram or Netflix, Disney+. Plus. But I promise this. I promise you a thousand years from now, you're not going to think to yourself, I wish I would have binged one more series on Netflix instead of reading my Bible. I'll make you a bet. Thousand years from now, we run by each other and you go, oh, Pastor, you told me that if I, I actually wish I would have binge watched more Netflix than read the Bible, I will take you out for coffee. Nicest coffee you've ever, the, heaven's best coffee on me, and I'll, I'll say I'm sorry. Pro tip, we have bought a bunch of scripture journals, the gospel according to Luke. We want to make it easy for you. Sometimes when you have your old good Bible that you take to church, you don't like writing in it, and this is made to write in it. And it's a helpful way to read through this uh, free to you. Grab one. If anybody wants one, just 
Well, I better give it to Wade next hour because I want to show it again to second service. It'll be on the front here if you just want to steal it and commit a violation of God's Ten Commandments. So there's that. I'm going to take a drink on that real quick. Those, to those of you not laughing, I was joking, so let the record show. I do not want you to violate God's Ten Commandments. All right. That's application one. Application two, as you read Luke, listen to the eyewitnesses. In this gospel, we are going to talk to loads of people who saw things and experienced things, and I want you to listen well to them. Think about it from their perspective. Like next week, we're going to get to meet Zechariah, an old priest who hits the lottery, his once-in-a-lifetime chance to go into the temple, and he gets in there, and he sees an angel. 400 years, God hadn't talked to his people, and now God's speaking. And Zechariah says, I don't believe you. He is a righteous and blameless priest, and he's going, nah. And then you're going to have Mary, who has Gabriel come to her, and she goes, I believe. Listen to the eyewitnesses. Listen to what's going on. Listen to how they think. This is going to be helpful for us understanding this book. It's our second application. Listen to the eyewitnesses. Here's number three. As you read Luke, notice how he understands the Old Testament. So many people in the Gospel of Luke, they thought they understood the Old Testament. They thought they knew what to expect when the Savior, the Messiah, the Christ... They thought, oh, if the Christ comes, I know exactly the blueprint for what Christ is going to do. But it surprises them that when Jesus comes in on that donkey near the end of Luke, he doesn't set up a geopolitical kingdom and punch the Romans in the face. Instead, uh, spoiler alert, he's going to go to the cross. And that is not what they expected. So much so that at the very end of Luke, you've got these two characters going, we're just so sad, we're so depressed. Why? We thought this was the Christ. Notice how Luke understands the Old Testament from Peter to James to John to Cleopas. Jesus is constantly correcting their Old Testament theology. Luke, screaming from his book to Theophilus, and by extension us, understand Messiah had to go to the cross. And understand this isn't just for Israelites, this is for the world. And that's what Luke's going to show us from Moses to the prophets, from Genesis to Malachi. And here's the, here's the payout for this application. If you do this, you're going to have more certainty. If you can begin to get how Luke is using his Old Testament, if you begin to read Luke and you keep looking back at the Old Testament with cross-references, what Luke's telling us is, and I know this sounds goofy, he's saying, you will finish my book with steel in your spine. So if you're here and you're like, man, I just, I'm not sure if the Bible's true. I'm not sure if Luke's true. Read Luke with the Old Testament in view, and you will come out more confident in the Old Testament. Now, look, I get this may feel like going to the doctor, and he says, oh, all you need to do is three somersaults and a twisty two, and you'll be healed. You think, I just don't know how that's going to heal me. But I'm telling you, if Luke were here, I'm confident this is what he'd say. Understand how the Old Testament works, and it's going to give you more confidence in your faith in Jesus Christ. I was talking about this with a couple 
Friends, I love the way Pastor Dave put it. I actually put it up here. I wish I would have made this quote. It was Pastor Dave. He said, just like many practicing Jews ignore the New Testament and are deficient in their faith, so many Christians ignore the New Testament and are deficient in their faith too. Oh, I love that. There's some pastors out there who want to decouple the Old Testament from the New Testament. Let me add them. Have you not read Luke? One other quote that I thought was fantastic. Let me read it to you. If you don't read Luke with a finger in your Old Testament, you will not finish Luke with steel in your spine. Here then is where we come full circle with my friend who deconstructed. What should a person say when their friend doesn't believe Jesus any longer? What should a parent do when their kid is struggling in their faith? What should any of you kids do when you have a friend who said, man, I used to believe in Jesus, but I've lost my confidence? Here's the argument. Here's what Luke's doing, and it gives us real truth for life. He's saying, read my book. This is the medicine you need. Lean into what I've written, and you can have an apologetic. You can have an argument for actually answering all of those questions about, is this faith real? He's going to give us a unique perspective. He's going to give us categories of truth. He's going to anchor us in the Old Testament. You might consider then, who is one person during this sermon series that you know is struggling with their faith, that you might give a gift of an invitation Maybe you invite them on Christmas Eve. That's a really easy service to invite people to. You can just say to somebody, are you looking for a place to attend the Christmas Eve service? Or maybe it's more broad. And you need to say, hey, I know you don't live in this city. Maybe they live in a different state, wherever. You say, hey, can I send you a link to this podcast? I think it may be helpful to hear Luke explained. Final thought for anybody here who's actually walking through a journey of deconstruction. If you're here and your faith has begun to unravel like that sweater and you're not sure what to do, man, I I want you to know I'm really glad you're here. And I hope you'll keep pressing into truth because if what you want is truth, that's what Luke wants for you too. Don't stop looking for truth. He's out there. He is not far from you. And he wants to be found. Find help for deconstruction from Dr. Luke. Let's pray. Christ, thank you for your word and thank you for this gospel. Thank you, Spirit. You want us to get it and I pray we would. For those who know you and are committed to you, I pray that you would give us even more steel in our spine, confidence that you came to seek and save sinners. For those here who don't know you, Holy Spirit, do a mighty work and I pray that they would come to saving faith. You get the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com.